Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. You are listening to part two of our look at Fleabag. If you have not yet listened to part one, please do go and do that first. We've already talked about where Phoebe Waller-Bridge came from in terms of everything that went before Fleabag in her career. And we've started looking at a specific episode in detail. It's uh, the last episode of series one where everything gets tied up. We've also had a good detailed look at Olivia Coleman already, so you've missed that. Go back and have a listen. Okay, we're all ready to go. We've still got to look at the rest of the episode and what came afterwards, series two, and everything else in Phoebe Waller-Bridge's career. Let's get on with it now. Let's go back to our episode and um, just a quick scene here, which you've already mentioned, where we see a statue of Harry, her ex that yeah. she's lived with. And it's a naked statue of Harry, but the stepmother has removed his genitals. <laughs> and we then see Harry, the real Harry, who's there. It feels like, like again, that's a real violation of Fleabag, isn't it? <laughs> to, to well, again, what a power in. move. Get her yeah, ex-boyfriend yeah, yeah. in. Yeah. To, <laughs> it's like this entire exhibition has been designed <laughs> to, yeah. just to yeah. wind up Fleabag. <laughs> So Harry, you know, we, we, we meet his new girlfriend and, you know, definitively now she has lost that relationship as well, as you said but, earlier. But that, that is a really crucial moment, actually. It's actually, it's pretty downplayed, but continuing what's come before, it's mm. always like, well, Harry's, he always comes back. He's, He's the, the safe back. one. And like, what does she even see in Harry? I, I never quite net. got that. He's the safety net. So Harry is the safety net. Her dad is the safety net. Her sister is the safety net. And in this final episode, she's losing all of them. Yeah, exactly. And there's a very definite moment here where he's like, oh, no, I, I, I don't need that stuff. That Because that's what she's been using. Oh, well, he always comes back for this. He always comes back for his dinosaur plate. And he says, oh, I've got a yeah, new one. You yeah, can keep yeah. that. That moment, although it's not a particularly big moment played for, it is like, oh, that's gone. That safety net is gone. That easy choice is gone. Mm-hmm. What's the the actor there, Hugh Skinner? What's he been in? What, what do we know him from? The only thing I know him, he's plays Prince William in the Windsors. Ah, right. Okay. I've never seen that. And which I have not watched a lot of, but I watched one recently. And his character, the William character, which like, for his, like, I know this is not the most important thing when you're portraying real people, but like, he's got a beautiful full head of hair. And <laughs> like, <laughs> Prince William, like, that's quite a distinctive feature that he has. Anyway, look, that's not the point. But the, the character of Prince William in that has a sort of stupid voice and he sort of talks like, uh, he talks in a really stupid way and then pronounces words. And I thought, mate, oh, well, well that's uh, a Mate, I mean, I don't know if you've heard them talk. <laughs> that <was quite laughs> well, accurate. that's it. I haven't. I was like, is that, is that, I don't know how Prince William talks, I guess, but it's not that kind of ridiculous, is it? But anyway, it turns out that's just how Hugh Skinner talks, because that's how he does it in this as well. Right, right. <laughs> He's got quite a silly voice. Okay, well, let's get back to our episode then. So we've uh, we've now dismissed Harry. And finally, Claire arrives at this exhibition. And this is the first time mm. we've seen Sean Clifford in this episode. Let's talk about, let's use this as a jumping off point to talk about this relationship. Yes. Probably the most important relationship in the whole thing, I think. Definitely. Ab absolutely. Yes. So the backstory to get to this point, they're sisters, they've got this relationship. Claire is messed up, not very happy, but superficially a much more successful person than Fleabag. Mm -hmm. And she's married to this, uh, is he American or Canadian? Brett Gellert's character. It doesn't really matter. But the point is he's an arsehole. And mm. a, he's earlier made a pass at Fleabag. And she told Claire about this in the last episode. And Claire said she's going to leave him. And obviously, Fleabag's happy about that. Now, she's decided that she's going to stay with her husband. And essentially, she says, 
He's told me that you made a pass at him. And so he has absolutely not only apologised, but said it wasn't my fault. It's your sister. You need to cut off your sister, not me. And again, Fleabag is losing the most important relationship in her life. Mm. Let's just talk about Claire first, then. Let's let's talk about that relationship first. It's probably the most important relationship in the show, and it's definitely the one that gets the most time, and it's the most complex. It's probably also one that I can't relate to in, in much of a way. Be- bearing in mind that I'm your brother, go on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we, <laughs> we do have a sister, but we don't have that kind of relationship. And that, that kind of female-to-female sister relationship, yeah. they're very close in age. Bear in mind, Phoebe Waller-Bridge has an older sister who's mm. about a year older that she worked on this show. She was the composer of the music in this show. Uh, okay, you didn't know that. They have a very close relationship. It's obviously coming from a real point. It's coming from a real place. Did I see a look on your face of there saying, oh, she got a sister in, did she? Uh, <laughs> the look on my face was... Someone composed this music? (laughs) We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. But yeah, so that sister-sister dynamic, uh, and indeed like a strong female relationship dynamic, is not something I can relate to in any great way. But you can see, you know, as an outside observer, you can see how much that means. And it's that that idea of being able to fall out with someone and have a complete catastrophe of... Uh, emotional uh, <laughs> connection, yeah. but still ultimately come together, still have mm. to be there for each other. And it's uh, a relationship of equals, but then there's the imbalance of their lifestyle choices. It doesn't feel like a relationship of equals to me. It feel, Yeah, it feels like Claire is, is, is supporting Fleabag emotionally, perhaps financially. It feels to me like for Fleabag, Claire is her best friend, her sister, her support, her rock. Mm. Whereas for Claire... Fleabag is just another problem. She's just another thing that she's got to juggle. I, I also don't think Fleabag particularly relies, doesn't directly rely on Claire for emotional support. I think that's changed since her best friend died. Perhaps. And I think actually their relationship day to day is not that close. She, I think, do they even say this in the show? But when they go to these feminist retreats, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this is, this is practically the only time we see each other nowadays. Yes. It represents that relationship of the people that you can be away from for quite a long time, but then still rely on them. Mm. Just to jump ahead slightly, there's in the second se- opening episode of the second series, they haven't talked for a year. Yes. But then when something major happens, yeah. Fleabag goes, right, okay, I'm here to help you. And we'll get into that a bit later on. But it's that kind of disastrous relationship that will never go away. What about, uh, what about Sean Clifford then? So as I said earlier, she's not quite the big starry name of some of the other supporting cast. But again, I think she's great. I think she's brilliant. What else has she done? Well, not, not a huge amount and, and certainly not kind of sitcom stuff, really. Um, more drama, if anything, and mostly theatre work. Started doing more TV now. She's got a bit of more notice from Fleabag. But mm. she was at drama school with Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And so they've known each other for a long time. They're good friends. And I think that really says a lot. I think that adds a lot to those characters that they are close, yeah. genuinely. But Phoebe Waller-Bridge can't stop going on about how great Sean Clifford is. He's obviously a big fan and wanted to work, yeah. write something for yeah. her. Wanted to work with her. Has she had any success since off the back of this? What else has she been in since? Working, definitely working. Um, nothing notable that I'd be like, oh, well, that's really a well-known thing. <laughs> but certainly not sitcom. Uh, but yeah, definitely out there working. What about, so her husband, Martin, is played by Brett Gelman. 
And in contrast, mm-hmm. I do know him. He was in Stranger Things, which I used to yeah. watch with my son. So, uh, is he American, Canadian? He's certainly not British. American, I, as far as I know. Certainly, Stranger Things seems to be what he's best known for. He was a comedian, sketch comic, that sort no, of that, thing. That, that adds up. His character in Stranger Things certainly is very big and very, uh, not, if not comedic, then certainly very broadly drawn. Yeah, he's definitely more sketch comedy than kind of legitimate actor. Yeah. The interesting thing about him, I have no idea how he ended up in the show. I don't know what his connection was because there's no reason why this character has to be American. So they've gone, okay, let's go America and find someone. Mm. You play ten- you used to play tennis with Phoebe Waller-Bridge's dad or something? <laughs> how dare you? Um, <laughs> Sorry. But that's it. And I, there's nothing else on his CV that working in Britain or anything like that. I'll tell you, the, there is one tangential connection to British sitcom. And that is in 2012... In the American version of The Inbetweeners, he played Mr. Gilbert. Oh, wow. I mean, that that can't be a connection to Fleabag, but I, I like it. It's a good connection I mean, for us. You know, I mean, you think about Damon Beasley and Kay Morris. They worked at Channel 4 for years. They were executive producers of that. Phoebe Waller-Bridge has worked with all those same people. There's no way that Phoebe Waller-Bridge hasn't met Ian K. Morris, for example. You know, they've obviously worked in the same circles. Yeah. But that still doesn't quite kind of add up. <laughs> it doesn't make... Like, unless they just... They they went to America to see this thing being filmed and were like, this guy's so good, I'm going to recommend him to everyone. And, yeah. and this was the result. In but this I, terrible I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I buy that. <laughs> no. No, so I honestly haven't got an explanation for that. So we'll go back to our episode then. So... Claire literally walks out and leaves Fleabag. And then we have a scene, which is a lovely scene, actually, between her and her dad, Bill Patterson. Mm. And throughout the series, I've been thinking constantly, you need to get him away from her, from stepmother, you know, you need from godmother. You need to talk to him on his own. And this is basically the first opportunity they get to do that. And he's upset, he's crying, you know, presumably he's upset that all these women in his life that he loves are all... all hate each other. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I'm not sure he's a very happy man. They bond a little, there's a little bit of catharsis there. But then Godmother arrives and it's all over again. He says, I think you should go. That's their relationship. That's how it's going to be from now on. Yeah, it's quite sad, isn't it? It's a really sad scene. Because it, it, throughout this episode, like the whole point of this episode is give Fleabag a kicking. Like everything is falling apart. Everything is yeah. going against her. And this is the final straw. But this is the interesting way. You, you know, if you were doing a comedy like a straightforward comedy, you would build that and each thing would get worse and, and bigger as it went along. But this is worse, because not because it's yeah, big and dramatic, small. but because it's that's her father and it means something. And also, you know, just when they're getting somewhere, he basically pushes her away again. Hmm. A word on Bill Patterson. Now, I know Bill Patterson. The first thing that comes to mind for me is the second series of Alfida's M. Pet. Yeah. Where, where he played Ali Frieza. <laughs> it was like a sort of Newcastle gangster who employs the boys to go out and work on his villa in Spain. That's that's Bill Patterson to me. But but I, I know that's unfair. He's been in a lot of stuff. The interesting thing with Bill Patterson, I, like when I first saw him in this, I was like, oh, look, it's that guy. Uh, and then I sort of saw the name of Bill Patterson. Yeah, okay. Well, I know him from stuff, but what? So, okay. So as you were speaking then, I was thinking, oh, I made my little joke about Alfredo's own pet. <laughs> Actually, I can't think of anything else off, off the top of my exactly. head. You're going to make a list now and I'm going to go, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Not really. I looked at his CV and went through things and was like, yeah, I've seen some of these things, but I can't place him in them. I, it's just one of those faces, I guess you know. And certainly he's not a comedy specialist by any means. You know, there's lots of dramatic roles there, but he was in, <laughs> I was. I found a sitcom, Ed Stone is Dead. Do you remember that? No. Nope. It was a Richard Blackwood oh starring vehicle. 
Remember Richard Blackwood? Yeah. Yeah, that was an odd time, wasn't it? But I'll tell you what, he's got one really good solid sitcom connection. It, when they did that Dad's Army film in 2016, he played Fraser. Okay, right. Good. That makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, so that's a nice little sitcom tie-in. Right, let's finish our episode off. The very final scene, Fleabag's at rock bottom, and we see her sort of replicating Boo's final moments. So she's standing on the pavement thinking about walking out into traffic. Is she going to kill herself just like Boo did? And she's stopped by the arrival of the bank manager, which is Hugh Dennis's character. Mm. And we've seen Hugh Dennis in a couple of episodes previously. Uh, well, let's talk, why don't you talk us through his storyline and where we've, how we know that character. We originally see him as a bank manager just trying to get a loan because the mm-hmm. cafe is failing. And it all goes terribly wrong. It's, just, it's quite an early introduction to Fleabaggers where she kind of puts her foot in it or like does yeah. the wrong thing or whatever. Yeah. Because she accidentally insinuates that he's trying to sexually harass her, but yeah. then it turns out he has got a history of that, so yeah. <laughs> it, like it hits harder than. And then she we see him at the, later on when they're at the retreat, and we see the men's rights camp next door. He's one of the <laughs> delegates there, screaming at the mannequin. Yeah, he's trying to become a better man. But there's a really nice there's a really nice scene in that episode where they sort of sit on the grass and she smokes a cigarette, and they sort of they kind of open up to each other, don't they? As as yeah. the, in this, they have this sort of intimate conversation of strangers. The kind of the fun of that is that she's not allowed to talk, and so she's trying to sort of stick with that at first. And so he just talks, mm. and it's yeah. the first time that he's just been allowed to talk, I guess. And so that he yeah. sort of spills all this stuff. And so then he he just happens to come across her, I guess, when she's she stood at the side of the road, yeah, recreating what Boo did. And I, I I don't know. I guess it's deliberately ambiguous. But my reading was not that she was about to kill herself. I think she was just mm. trying to feel the moment. Uh, trying yeah. to feel something, I guess. But she's she is in a really bad way, and so he stops and he sort of takes her back into the cafe, and in a sort of very kind of I don't really know what to say way. Just yeah, he feels, to he's be awkward, nice. but he wants to help, and he's he like he seems like a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's interesting because obviously we we know that there's this sort of insinuation of this sexual harassment in his past, but it doesn't. This feels completely non-sexual. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this weird connection between them, but it is absolutely not sexual, and that's what she needs because you know she she does a little speech here about how you know all she all she's ever done is have sex, and when her body doesn't when she's not attractive anymore, she won't be worth anything. Yeah, I guess this is an example of someone seeing her beyond that, which is what she needs. Not necessarily seeing her even, but just not trying to get anything out of her. <laughs> I suppose yeah. an outsider, a stranger, almost. It's easier to talk to a stranger sometimes, isn't it? You you can't say that stuff to your dad. I think it's really interesting that the scene we just talked about at the retreat, and then this scene, that that, that phrase that I came up with there—that intimacy of strangers. <sighs> She's so buttoned down with the people around her that she needs a stranger, an outsider, to be able to open up and to be able to confess. If you'll forgive the uh, allusion to the next series. Mm. Quick word on Hugh Dennis. Yeah, Hugh Dennis outnumbered is the sitcom connection, isn't it? But I I remember Hugh Dennis from the Mary Whitehouse experience, which was you know sort of sketch and stand up with David Baddiel and Rob Newman and Steve Punt. Punt and Dennis, they've been doing the Now Show for about. Are they still years. doing that? The Now Show on Radio Four. I don't know, but they certainly were doing it fairly recently. I've listened yeah. to it not that long ago. It's crazy. Hugh Dennis is always one of those people who just, I've, I've never quite got it. <laughs> like, he turns up in sitcoms and, like, yeah. he's a regular in My Hero, for example. And Fleabag notwithstanding here, he's never struck me as a particularly great actor. Um, he was a regular on Mock the Week when that first started out, and he never mm-hmm. struck me as a particularly great comedian yeah. either. He just seems very middle of the road, but I also haven't got anything bad to say about him. 
Yeah. Gets the job done. I kind of agree with that. I, I, I used to listen to the Now Show. Let's take that as an example. And I kind of stopped listening to it because I got bored of it and it felt like it was just the same thing every week. And that's, yeah. that's, that's kind of how I think of Hugh Dennis. He's just like very samey and very, yeah, middle of the road's a good way of describing him. However, I think he's brilliant in this. I think that he's only in three or four scenes, but he absolutely nails it. I think he's great. Yeah. I can't argue with that really. I think he, yeah, he gets, he gets the way he wanted to be. And even what I've seen of Outnumbered, which is, you know, improving a, a lot of all that sort of, like he does mm. a good job. But I just, it's a bit like Alexander Armstrong. I just, I don't quite get why people like blandness. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I, d- I do know what you mean. I do. I, I don't dislike either of them, but I just don't understand why they keep getting worse. You sort of do dislike Alexander Armstrong. <laughs> Do you remember that time Hugh Dennis was in a Bond film? <laughs> I went to watch no. the last Bond film, no spoilers. And Hugh Dennis is in it. He plays, is he's he? just like, he, yeah, he plays a scientist who's experimenting on some virus that the baddies want to steal. Just, you know, like David Schneider's in the opening scene of 28 Days Later, and you go, I don't know, there's something in there. So this would be No Time to Die, I guess. Uh, I think which so. Was, the last one. Which was in part written by Phoebe Waller Bridge, you mean? Oh. <laughs> well, why don't Ooh. we talk about what happened next? So I think we've I think we've covered off well, we've finished the episode, we've covered off the series, we've talked about most of the actors. I do want to talk about series two, but yeah. by way of getting there, this show made Phoebe Waller Bridge a massive star. Mm-hmm. As you say, it was it was culturally everywhere. So yeah, what happened next? What did she do next? Um well I think the success of the well bear in mind that there's about three years between series one and two. Uh, just yeah. short of three years. The second series didn't come out till 2019, and there definitely was not a guaranteed second series. I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge basically had to go away and figure out how mm. to approach the second series and what to do with it and what the hook was going to be. Yeah, We'll talk about that in a sec. But the success of all this led to other things, one of those being Killing Eve. Yeah. No, I like Killing Eve. It's certainly not a sitcom, but you know, we were talking about the definition, comedy drama. It's, 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 it's a drama, but it's funny. Yeah. It's very funny in places. You know, the central character is uh, Villanelle who's an assassin and we have Eve who's a sort of uh, hapless spy trying to catch her. And it's, well, firstly, very much female fronted. Exactly. Yeah. Fiona Shaw's in it as well, who we saw guest star in Fleabag. And it's very funny. It's the, the the dialogue's sharp. It's the you know the scenarios are funny. Even when she's killing someone, you know it's, it's sort of played in a if you can murder someone lightheartedly. You know what I mean. Killing Eve is based on a book or a series of books. Yeah, they're written by a man, but they very deliberately wanted to bring a female kind of showrunner into it, a head writer, and mm. Phoebe Waller Bridge, I guess, was flavor of the month. And she only did the first series, and then it was handed yeah. on to yeah. uh, another another female writer, etc. Et uh, you can you can probably tell I was a fan of uh, of Killing Eve, and you could tell that the vibe changed after the first series. Yeah, you know, they, she'd set the tone, and it was still good, but well, that's that's kind of always the case, isn't it? When sometimes yeah. they struggle to replicate the first series, don't we? So, but she did that, and that was obviously a big success as well, and was not comedy. So straight away, proven herself. Uh, on that other level off the back of that got a job writing for no time to die the bond film how did that come about then because that's i like when when i i'm thinking of killing eve and i can i can hear phoebe waller bridge i can hear the phoebe waller bridge of fleabag you know i i recognize that i can't i don't know what she wrote in no time well, to yeah. die she certainly didn't write the script uh but and it's one of the big that sort of production they just got like they've got her on to come in and do write some, jokes. some 
maybe do some dialogues, make it snap it yeah. up a bit. Yeah, that sort yeah. of thing. And again, it's just look, it's flavor of the month. We want to do more with, uh, we want to make our female characters stronger. Let's get a good female writer that we know can do that, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't, I don't know, I'm afraid, how much constructive uh, work she put into that or if it was just dialogue stuff. I actually don't know. Uh, they also, her and Vicky Jones, they did uh, a series called Run on HBO, which only lasted one series. Uh, that was written by Vicky Jones, I believe. Uh, well, mm. her creative partner. Yeah. And Phoebe Waller-Bridge was the producer and she acted in it. That wasn't a success, but again, shows that they're, they're trying to do more, they're doing bigger things. And um, now, as we record, it's not out yet. By the time you are hearing this, it will be. But Phoebe Waller-Bridge has just appeared in the Indiana Jones new film. Oh, yes. I read that she was As in that, one yeah. of the main actors in that. So... Mm. Uh, the acting side is also seems to be going well, and she's yeah. uh, she's Brock America. Let's talk about series two. Yeah. So series two was launched with big fanfare and had Andrew Scott playing the priest who mm-hmm. was well the love interest. Well, the, the, certainly the priest that kind of the 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 love story at its heart is definitely what draws us through. We also continue other, the other storylines like with Claire, mm. the sister, and all this sort of stuff. But that. That's the hook, right? The the priest, will they, won't they? Yeah. And from what I've heard, Phoebe Waller-Bridge talking, you know, she she needed, she wasn't convinced that the second series is there and she had to work out what it was going to be. Yeah. And she said, whereas series one was all about sort of cynicism, she wanted series two to be about hope, love, and like, you know, deep down, she's a romantic after all. So that's what we get here. And... I think it's a really great concept, actually, that to put a spin on the will they, won't they classic vibe, make him a priest, uh, and then it's like the ultimate forbidden fruit. How much of it is that power trip? She wants to, she wants to prove that she's more seductive than God. Yeah. <laughs> or is that what she's trying to do? But, you know, ultimately, at its heart, it does feel like there is a genuine emotion. There is genuine, but, there. but I think that, you know, I said earlier, the character is chaos. Fleabag brings carnage. And while she doesn't mean to, she creates chaos everywhere she goes mm. with, with her family, with her friends. And from his point of view, she, she completely ruins his life as well. She just brings absolute carnage to his life and his... I'm not saying he's without agency. But, you know, if he hadn't met her, then he would have been happily just a priest. <laughs> well, yeah, I know what you're saying. I think those problems are within him anyway. Sure. And perhaps she draws them out. Uh, and, you know, let's just, just jump to the end. Ultimately, basically, he has to say, you can't be in my life because it's too much of a temptation. Like, I need yeah. you to go away. Yes. And it, it will, let's get into that a bit later. But let's talk about Andrew Scott and his character of the priest. Like I said, Andrew Scott and Phoebe Waller-Bridge had worked together uh, some years prior on a, on a theatre show. And so mm-hmm. when she came up with this concept and this idea, she she went to him and said, like, I want you to play this. And, ba- and you know, he said yes. And bear in mind, in the intervening time, he's become quite a famous actor. Whenever I see him, I say, oh, it's Paul McCartney, because he played Paul McCartney <laughs> in some Beatles thing very early in his career. And, and I'm kind of being obtuse because I know he's done lots of other things. Like <laughs> Paul McCartney. <laughs> well, he, he's one of those guys who, who, even from a very young age, like built up a strong reputation in theatre. Like he's really legit, you know, legit yeah. theatre. He is very good. I'm, I'm a fan. Well, do you know what? I was not particularly not that I'd seen him in much. I think the primary thing I'd seen him in was Sherlock, uh, where okay. he famously plays yeah. Moriarty and Moriarty. that. 
And I didn't particularly care for it. And I just thought, I don't get it. And I've seen the odd little bit of him here and there. And I was like, eh, I don't, I don't see it. I actually think he's really good in this. And the character, I think this character is really, he's damaged. You know, he's, yes, he's lost. He's looking for something. And what he's yes. found is the church. And he's like desperate to give him that discipline. Mm. He's an alcoholic. And there's obviously a real sinisterness to the way Andrew Scott yes. plays it which I, I assume is kind of a deliberate thing rather than him just being a weird guy. But like, it feels like if this relationship did go ahead, it would be damaging for them both yes. and it would not last very long at all. They are perhaps equals in many ways, but that does not mean they should come together because they're going to exacerbate each other's problems. Oh, I think you're right. I think the, the character has hidden depths and you know credit for Andrew Scott for playing it that way. Hmm. We get a little bit of backstory and dialogue, but not much. Not enough to reveal what he's hinted at. Yeah. I think you're right. I think that's a really good observation. Yeah, I, it, it feels like he's he's retreated to the, the church as a way of escaping whatever he's going on in his life. And it's like, okay, well, look, God will save me. You know, I need that that discipline of it. And, and that kind of like, well, no, you can't have sex is part of that. And, and there's a very iconic scene in the confessional booth where she's she's talking to him. And she says, I just want someone to tell me what to do. I want to let go and 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 kind of yeah. be controlled in a sense, which obviously she doesn't really. But it echoes exactly what he has done. By by giving yourself to God, that's what you're doing. You're yeah. saying, look, I'm I'm not in control of this. Do tell me what to do. And uh, that's that moment between them is obviously this major moment where he almost caves in. Yeah. Well, he does basically, but there's end stuff. Well, what about this? Uh, the, the the hook of Fleabag is the breaking the fourth wall that she talks to us that we're almost a character within the drama. And yeah. in the second series, the priest calls this out. So she'll look to us and talk to us, and the priest says, "Well, where did you just go? What was that?" And he looks at the camera, he looks at us, and says, "Who is that?" <laughs> Which is kind of weird. But what he's saying is, you know, you've got this inner monologue. And we're, you know, that is personified by us, the audience. Where are you disappearing off to metaphorically in that moment, you know, where you should be present and you're, you're taking your leave temporarily? The look to camera is a nice, it's a nice extension of us being the metaphorical inner life. I, I really like that. I thought that was a terrific twist. Yeah, I liked it as well. I think it's a quite a brave choice. It, it like what is that saying that he's the only person who's really paying attention to her or yeah. sees yeah, something in her? I think he's the only person who's who's not so completely preoccupied with themselves that he has the time to yeah. see her disappear momentarily. Yeah. The whole fourth wall breaking thing, uh, it's really interesting. We talked a lot about this on Miranda, how it, it makes you closer to the character. Yeah. It makes you feel not part of the action, but part of the life. With Fleabag, it's, it's really important. There's not, there's barely, perhaps with a couple of very brief exceptions, there's not really any time where she's not on screen. You know, she, mm. it, we are with Fleabag. The world doesn't yes. exist unless she's there. We are in her head. Yes. We are only, we are only experiencing it through her. And her talking to us in the same way that Miranda, it makes us feel like as one with her, perhaps. But the way Phoebe Waller-Bridge has talked about it is she says, like, having this camera on you or having this audience on you, it's a pressure. It's a pressure of being witnessed all the time. Yeah. And she related it to being a woman and in the sense of, like, we spend our whole lives performing for something. Yeah. Just to paraphrase something that was said, but uh, it said... 
As a woman, we can either live up to society's expectations of us or defy them. And both of those are exhausting. But Fleabag kind of cuts through a lot of that and it, and she just is. She just is what she is. And that's what the appeal of it. But then you've got this pressure that even in her most intimate moments when someone is penetrating her or whatever, right? She's looking to camera and going, oh, look what's going on. She's not present. She has that pressure of performance all the time mm. uh, that she, yeah. someone is watching her. And to skip right to the very end, she lets that go. She she pushes that away, and that's her escape. That's her way of actually going, oh, I don't need that, actually. I'm I'm okay now. I'm, I'm sort of okay with what I am. I don't need you to look at me and judge me. And then on top of that, you've got, it's revealing. It, you can't be yourself because you've got this pressure to perform. So when you have these exposing emotional moments, it is exposing. You can't just sit at a bus stop and cry because there's someone there watching you. Yeah. Let's wrap up with a couple of other things. You mentioned, and I, I was wanted to come back to the music. There are no titles as such. We get mm. some sort of rapid fire guitar riff, guitar riffs over a previously montage, and then just a you know white title, black title card that says Fleabag. That's it. I'd, I'd written down several times annoying music, annoying music. There's like, <laughs> there's this sort of discordant jazz going on. <laughs> so this is what I've written down. This is probably John Coltrane or something, but it sounds like a playgroup having a go on the instrument box. <laughs> so, that might be that you just don't appreciate jazz. <laughs> no, I, I absolutely, definitely do not appreciate jazz. But you're telling me this is um, talented jazz musician, Sister Waller Bridge. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I am definitely being unfair. Tell me about it, go on. Yeah. Well, that little sting that comes over when it just says Fleabag on screen, they don't really have opening credits as such. Mm. It's actually two pieces of music played on top of each other. It's deliberately kind of Crap. discordant. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's supposed to be chaotic. It's just like, ah, yeah. Fleabag. Well, that, that, is how I, that is how I experience jazz, yes. Yeah, well, so it works on that level. You know, the, the music in the first series is fairly... Um, Minimal. But in the second series, we have this Greek chorus type thing going on all the time. And it's this kind of religious vibes. Vaguely religious feeling music. Mm -hmm. And that's all been composed by um, Isabel Wallerbridge. And I think it works. It does feel a bit strong sometimes, like, because I think the first series don't really, they don't really use music to drive the, the emotions of it. Yeah. And Isabel Wallerbridge, it does seem like. This was her break into the, you know, obviously she was a musician and kind of in that game. Uh -huh. This was certainly a big step up in terms of what she was doing. Uh, her first major kind of role as a composer, but has gone on to other th do other things and seems to be yeah. working and has a good reputation. I think that's the thing with these, so, uh, you know, these accusations of nepotism. It's not, it's not that people are untalented. It's just the opportunities, isn't it? That's the, that's the mm. difference. Yeah. I mean, look at, you look at however many of these people that are clearly people, Phoebe Waller-Bridge has worked with and gone, I like them, I'm going to work with them. It's the same principle, I think, but yeah. it's just a bit harder yeah. to be an uh, <laughs> objective uh, viewer if sure. she's sister, isn't it? But sure. hey, it works. Yeah, yeah. So for the second series overall, for me, it felt like that kind of difficult second album. It, it, mm. it, it felt like, oh, the first series is something you've been working through, this one-person show that you've done for a few years. You've kind of honed it, figured out what you wanted to do, how it worked, blah, blah, blah. And the second series is that like, oh, come on, we need a second album next year. Come on, do it. Yeah. That seems a bit harsh. It's not in a bad way. But it definitely, for me, the second series didn't quite have the same... Yeah, I agree. I, I, think, I think the first series, I, I said earlier, it's like chapters of a book. I think it's... 
you disagreed with me slightly on that. But I think it's a really well-written book. It wraps up all the threads. And yes, yeah. the end is not uplifting by any means. But we have several kind of subplots that all come together and all all complete. The second series for me is the story of Fleabag and the Priest. And there's some other mm-hmm. stuff going on. But then yeah. it, it, it feels like they're very, very secondary to the to this yeah. main relationship. I think it suffers a little for that. Not that that... That story is interesting and entertaining and great, but it's not as it's not as complex a storyline. It's not as complex a, a production as the first series. Yeah, and those other stories are sort of reliant on what we've already learned in the first series as well. And they're just a continuation. It doesn't feel like there's anything new there. Yes, from what things I've read and everything, people think the second series is amazing. This absolutely smashed it, knocked it out of the park. Well, we talk about cultural impact, like Andrew Scott's Priest was like, you know, he was the biggest star in, in England that month, in Britain Hot that priest. month. Yeah, the priest, everyone was talking about the priest, you know, and I, again, I know that's uh, not necessarily true that they were talking about, I mean, in the pubs of Mansfield, but yeah. you know what I mean. As I said earlier, Phoebe Waller-Bridge said the first series is about cynicism, the second series is about hope. For me personally, I think I'm a cynic <laughs> and I'm not very hopeful, <laughs> so perhaps it resonates with me more. <laughs> perhaps that's just my perhaps. my take on it. And then there's the, the other element is that, that Martin, so Claire's husband, Martin, he goes from being like a bit of a drunk, you know, kind of fairly lovable but dickhead guy to just really being quite a nasty arsehole. And the problem with that is the more and more Claire holds on to that, the less sympathy I have for her. Perhaps that's, again, yeah. coming from a male point of view. But like you just go, just leave him for Christ's sake. Just leave him. I need to, I need to feel the reasons why she's holding on to that. Even if that is just cultural kind of, no, I need to be married. That's kind of what you do. Mm -hmm. The weird stepson that is kind of briefly mentioned more as a gag in the first series becomes a proper character. Played by Angus Imry, incidentally. Celia Imry's son. Yeah, that's right. But it never really goes anywhere. Don't really do anything with that. It's just a bit of a weird weird thing. No, it is weird because that feels like it's building to something, but it never pays off. Yeah, and then... Other things like the whole boo thing, that whole that whole thing that we kind of we don't resolve that in the first series. It's no. just the guilt hanging over it, and then it kind of just gets lost in the second series. Yeah, oh, it's funny. not it's not but as important. But the, the boo the boo backstory is the driving force. It's the driving emotional force of series one. Yeah. So I, I I don't know. I think I think you've almost got to leave that behind to say this is a new story. Perhaps. Yeah. Maybe. Um, here's a couple of interesting things I noted just while I was doing my research. First of all, Phoebe Waller-Bridge now is in a relationship with Martin McDonough, the Martin McDonough, the film director, writer, director, yeah, uh, the Irish guy, and her ex-husband, the guy she was married to before, was also Irish. Uh-huh. So, do you think that when she cast a love interest as an Irish guy, is that a type? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they're all about 10 years older than her as well. So, you know, whatever that means. Is Andrew Scott older than her? Yeah. He doesn't look it, does he? But, no, yeah, no. I've no, said that. Okay. Here's another interesting thing I noticed. And, t- and this is just in terms of, I guess, Phoebe Waller-Bridge working with people she likes, that she's worked with before, who she knows well. A lot of the men in this, a lot of the love interests. So, Harry, the arsehole guy, and um, Andrew Scott, the priest. Though The actors who play them are gay. Oh, that's interesting. And like, I don't know if that's a conscious thing, uh, but that is probably perhaps you connect to certain people more than you connect to others when you're working yeah. with them and then want to work with them again. I, I found that interesting, just a, a interesting little note. A, that, uh, I, 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 I was going to say that's an interesting coincidence. And I think, I think I'm going to say it is a coincidence. I don't, I, I don't think that's deliberate, is it? Probably not consciously done, but 
I suspect it's not a coincidence, you know what I mean? I suspect that perhaps the people you want mm. to work with again, the people you think, oh, I'm going to do intimate scenes with this person. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe there's yeah, people you feel comfortable with. There was uh, a French remake. There's been a French remake of it, which I haven't seen, unfortunately, but, uh, you know, it, it is starting to travel the world, I guess. Interesting. Well, we, we, I wanted to mention the stage show because, as you said, this right. is how this whole Fleabag all started. But then it was redone again, wasn't it? I'm bringing it up because uh, we're both going to go and see it quite mm. soon. And uh, we'll probably produce a bonus podcast about it. But is she redoing that now in 2023? No. So what? how it worked was the, the original stage show was 2013 and they did it for a few years, like at Edinburgh. Mm. Uh, Vicky Jones directed it, you know, Phoebe was in it. And so obviously they honed it a bit. I'm sure it changed a little bit. Then the series off the back of that. And then in 2019, she redid the stage show as a kind of, well, now it's famous, so people will come and see it. <laughs> and this was when it was at the National Theatre? It wasn't literally in the National Theatre building, but it was part of the National Theatre, kind okay. of, they funded it or whatever. And so it went out and was recorded and was released as National Theatre Live. So yeah, it's rec- I'm, going to, I'm going to see it in Leeds and it's a recording of the... Yeah, and I'm seeing it down in Brixton at an independent cinema. Yeah, it's a recording of the show that was done in 2019. Okay. So what we're going to see is a recording of a 2019 show, which is a redo of the show that was before the series. As far okay. as I know, it's kind of not been changed with what the series did. Well, let's let's see. Well, let's hold that thought, and we'll uh, we'll hopefully regale our listeners with the with stories of the stage show. Well, here's another interesting side thing that that I found out in my research. At some point, there was a theatrical tour of Fleabag, so they did the one person oh, okay. show on tour. But it wasn't Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Oh. The person who performed it was someone called Maddie Rice, who appears in Fleabag Series 2, Episode 1, as the needy waitress. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, I remember that So character. that's Maddie Rice. Not got a lot of TV credits or anything. She's sort of, she's a theatre actor, whatever. But she went out and did a theatre tour of that's Fleabag, the stage show. And I don't know when that happened. My guess is somewhere between Series 1 and 2. Yeah. So it was a big success. They wanted to capitalize on that. But Phoebe Waller-Bridge was too busy doing other things. Wrecking America. Maybe. Yeah. But then if you went to see Fleabag, the live show, because you'd love the series so much, would you be Would you be happy if it wasn't Phoebe Waller-Bridge? Well, I, I feel I, like I, that I would be a bit of a... I, I wouldn't <laughs> if it was billed as Phoebe Waller-Bridge. But I think, well, yeah, I think exactly. people, you know, if you know what you're getting. Oh, it, just just before we go, actually, just, we would, you know, we're talking about a little about its impact and like who actually saw it and all that. We talked about yeah. that earlier, but... This actually went out, series one, series one went out on BBC Three. Oh, Remember wow, that? okay. And then was immediately repeated on BBC Two, so obviously well enough. And then the second series, obviously, was a big success by that point. That went out on BBC One, okay. but was also co-produced by Amazon, so it went out on Amazon Prime so that it could go to America sort of straight away. I think that rings a bell. I think that, Was that one of the first things that was done in that, that sort of co-production way? Possibly, Amazon, BBC. Possibly. Yeah, maybe. But it, it just... The the whole system now is so much more complicated than like oh it's going on yeah. streaming it's going on this it's harder to keep track now than it, you like when we, usually when we look at stuff it's like oh yeah LWT made this and yeah. <laughs> went out on ITV on Thursday nights but that's the way it is right it was such a big success that it was produced in a way that it would be going out in America straight away it says a lot I think about you know its immediate impact okay so let's uh, let's summarize and, and finish up then so what are your final thoughts on Fleabag. Well, you know, I'm not I'm not one for watching modern stuff. I'm a historian at heart. Um, so 
I'd never seen Fleabag, obviously heard a lot about it. I watched it specifically for this. I watched the two series over two days. I think this lends itself to that kind of binge-watching a lot more than an episodic sitcom does, because mm-hmm. it is an overall narrative. I I do have questions of whether it's really, really a It's not a sitcom. Yeah. I'm not in questioning that. I don't think it is a sitcom, but it's enough of a close enough hybrid that it's okay for what we do. I think that's acceptable. But I loved it, basically. I really liked it. It definitely, I related to it in all sorts of ways. Yeah. And it's not made for me, frankly. Uh, it, it's, it's, ma- it is made for women, and there's no doubt about that. But, you know, I'm not that far removed from women <laughs> that I can't <laughs> acknowledge it. And I, I, and I do, I do fall definitely into the sort of category of person that she's representing here, you know, that kind of yeah. young, lost, not young anymore, but you know what I mean? <laughs> I do know. Uh, so mean. it really did speak to me in a lot of ways, and I found it very funny, great acting, great writing. And it did make me definitely make me want to kind of see more of what Phoebe Waller-Bridge is doing and what she's creating. Well, look, I completely agree with you. I think, do you know what you were saying about definition? Is it a sitcom or not? I said earlier, uh, I compared it to Killing Eve, and I said, well, Killing Eve's definitely not a sitcom. Hmm. I can't honestly tell you what the difference is. Why is Killing Eve not a sitcom? And I'm saying Fleabag is. Hmm. I, don't, I don't know. I haven't got an answer to that question. Regardless, I agree with you. I, I unambiguously enjoyed it. I thought it was great. And the best thing about it is the acting. You know, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is great at portraying this chaotic individual. The supporting cast are stellar, as I said. It's it's, it's fabulous. The writing's great, but for me, the acting makes it. I re- I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And all my and all my chippiness about it being upper middle class people with their low <laughs> jeopardy lives that dissolved it. You know, I felt That's engaged good. with the drama. Yeah, very good. A great way to go out for our series. Yeah, so this is the end of the series. We will have some bonus episodes for people. Uh, as I say, we'll be going to see the stage show of this. We might have a couple of film spin-offs to look at as well. We've already started watching, or shall we say, researching for the next series. <laughs> so we'll be back in a few months. Hope you've enjoyed the series. And as always, if you've got any recommendations for us in terms of our future episodes... Mm-hmm. then please contact us. You'll find us on Twitter and Instagram at BritComPod mm-hmm. or we've got a Facebook group if you just look for British Sitcom History Podcast, you'll find us. If you want to see the podcast with a bit of video accompaniment and also loads of extra video-based stuff, you can go to the YouTube channel, search for British Sitcom History, you'll find it. What we're doing at the moment is putting out sitcom spotlights and this little brief snapshots of uh, sitcom actors' careers through the years. We'll, we'll continue to do those in between the series, so, so you can uh, so you don't forget that we exist and uh, we can we can keep giving you these little snippets of information. Thank you very much for all your feedback this series. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it, and we will see you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs>